Today's episode is episode 171 of the Unconventional Humans podcast. Today's episode is a conversation that I had recently with Joe James. Joe is a 22-year-old from Scotland. He's currently studying a master's in sports psychology. He's interested in exploring the true nature of our thinking, personality, and high performance. On today's episode, I said I'd include it. It's actually a conversation Joe's having with me. He recently interviewed me for his Psyched in UK uh, Medium website. I'll put a link in the show notes as well to Joe's LinkedIn profile. Joe's a pretty cool guy. I, I enjoyed the conversation. That's why I said I would include it today. He's asked some very interesting questions. And I also wanted to just give a feel for having a conversation around this. It's We cover a lot of deep topics. But I felt like it was done in a way that felt normal. And that's what I want to get across, that you can have these conversations, you can dig a bit deeper, and it can be and it can feel like a normal everyday conversation. So that's it. Hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks again for listening. I was just reading some of your blog posts on Medium and I was wondering, so do you interview these people and then you, you write down their responses that are how do you work that? Yeah, basically. So have a chat with them over Zoom usually and then pick out different topics that I thought were, were particularly of interest and kind of put it yeah. in, put it into an article. Which ones was it I sent you again? Uh, there was a guy, a rugby guy living in France. Uh, yeah, he was playing, yeah, yeah. who's he playing with again? With Fabien Galtier. And then they, they, was that the article I read? That, uh, yeah. yeah. It, it was like, they just had wine. Instead yeah, of like, exactly. uh, <laughs> he's been an orthodox or something. Oh, he's working. Are you playing with Glasgow first, Glasgow War, or some some Scottish team? Yeah, the Warriors. Then, was that? Yeah, yeah. It's found that interesting. Actually, I read one of the women you interviewed. Okay, hers was quite interesting as well. It was like because um, she mentioned about not having end goals, uh-huh. uh, like because you get too fixated on them. But then she also mentioned about switching your mindset also, so that you're not. You do actually have to achieve things at the same time. So I like that kind of yeah, kind way of she talked about it. What's that? Kind of having that mental flexibility to, to go from exactly, yeah. being fixated on outcomes, I guess, and at times just enjoying the process, I guess. Yeah, I like that way she described it, like just that flexibility, like not being one or the other, but a mix of both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's something that I've found to, I've tried to perfect over the, kind of last few years with not being fixated on saying, oh, this is my identity, this is who I am, this is how I act in this situation, and kind of just let it flow a bit more and see what comes from the situation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was mainly kind of just, so I'm doing like a a weekly interview with people in sports, and you're the first person that I'm doing which is taking a broader yeah. looking into kind of people within the arts, politics, and kind of finding out about, about their performances and their kind of how they deal with creativity, that kind of thing. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I, I was wondering, how did you get into this? How did you get interested in psychology and what you're doing? So, it's, so obviously, I, I played rugby when I was younger. And okay. I used to think, oh, I, I really know my, my mind and what... what helps me perform the kind of situations and circumstances that bring out a good performance in me. So I thought, oh, I'm, I'm so good at, so good at psychology. And then I, I read a bit more about 
kind of the outside in and uh, inside out understanding and realize that a lot of my what I thought of these other circumstances that bring out the best performance in me was actually just really superstitious thinking. Yeah. So I've kind of just read more and completely changed my whole outlook on life, I guess. I feel that like I have a lot more freedom and stuff like that. How about yourself? Uh, well, I covered it in my first book. I'd, I'd like, I lived in France for a while. Uh-huh. And uh, about 10 years ago, I, went, I had a mental breakdown in France. Okay. And uh, that was when it was sink or swim for me, really. That's when I started learning and getting into psychology. Um, but then looking back on it now, I can kind of see the dots connecting because I went to France the first time at like 18. I can see now the few times I went over and back, I was learning to speak French. I could see it probably at an unconscious level. I was questioning who I was and wanting more from life, but I wasn't able to ever verbalize that. Mm. And uh, came to a head. Like I suppose when I was younger, I wasn't very like in touch with my emotions. I, I couldn't really describe what was going on for me. I wasn't really aware of how I was feeling very often. Yeah, I didn't know how to handle certain emotions. Yeah, so like when that happened, then like I had to come to terms with a lot of stuff. I found a, I started off more on a mindset level, mm-hmm. thinking through things, like really realizing how my thought process was affecting my interactions with people and even what was and wasn't possible for me. So I got into programming also because I wanted to challenge self-limiting beliefs around technology for myself. Okay. Before I was not interested and I was kind of believing this idea that I was no good at technology. Yeah, absolutely. Same. Um, yeah. It was those types of things. And then as I kind of went through the mindset, self-limiting beliefs level, I kind of got more into like feelings and emotions, like what's really going on for me and mm-hmm. what do I want out of these goals? Like, what, like why am I always feeling like I'm chasing after something and it's illusionary and yeah, it's been a long process. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think we all go on this process in our own way, to be honest, the more I've kind of just been continuing on this. Yeah. What was the kind of the first book that opened your mind to these kind of understandings? Then? Uh, well, the first book that got me to think outside the box would have been, when I was in France, it was fluent in three months, it got me to think about languages differently. Mm-hmm. And then I think as I went along, so you got it. A little bit of stoicism. Jamie Smart's book stood out for me, the results book. Yeah. That, that was, I think, one of the books. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just I've finished it up last week You like it? Yeah, brilliant. I oh, really interested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's different approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I've read a lot of, I suppose I've read a lot of different books and I interview people and stuff. I just like look, looking at, like I recently got reached out to by somebody who's doing psychology psychological astrology or something like that i just like talking to people that are kind of out there and um i just like that's my biggest thing is just gaining different perspectives from different fields and not clinging to anything black and white thinking is very toxic mentally Mm. it it blocks conversations it blocks your own personal growth so i kind of by talking to lots of different people helps me to like move past those preconceived notions that, that i that you have that you pick up in society Mm-hmm. And uh, oh yeah, like there are some books that kind of stand out, but there's been a lot of books over the years. Actually, recently I read a book called Misfits, and it was about like I, I felt like I've always been like a deep thinker. I like thinking about things deeply, and I like having like, deep conversations with people. That's why I have a podcast today. Uh-huh. And uh, but I, I always felt ashamed about that. I always felt like that's weird. And okay. and I read that book then, and she kind of describes like introverts and people who are deep thinkers. And I was kind of like. Yeah, she's actually explaining a lot of like um, 
who I am, this part of me that I am. And it helped me to accept that a bit more myself. And uh, because it's the deep thinking part of myself that's created the things today that I'm proud of and that I, that I want to have in my life. And it's helped me to be a bit more unconventional. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, yeah, that's another book. I kind of like, whenever I feel a bit perplexed about things, I usually find a book or a person that helps me to understand it better myself. Yeah. I, th- I think that's really interesting what you say about taking different perspectives from different things. Because I have conversations with a lot of friends about that and how even things like saying this is the political party I support is limiting looking into different parties and different different kind of points of view. Because as soon as you yeah. say, oh, this is the party I support, then that's you almost already deciding your views on certain issues without even looking into it for yourself. Yeah, you become predictable. You become yeah. like a walking ideologue. As soon as you latch onto something, it's like that idea kind of consumes you and it takes on part of your identity. And I'm very wary of that, that like I want to have a separation between my sense of self and the ideas I'm putting out there because I want the ideas to evolve and change over time as I change. And you latch on to different parties, different schools of thoughts. Mm-hmm. It limits you. I've never seen, it's always been like a, for me now, I feel like it's a balance. It's like is it this, some perspectives here, some perspectives there. And there's something in the middle that's a, uh, the way forward and this, that, that's kind of the, the way I kind of see things. You know? Yeah, because I'd say growing up, I was very kind of, I was a bit confused with identity and stuff like that. I used to think that, oh, why does everyone seem to have these sort of values and everybody knows who they are 100%. They've got opinions on everything. And I, I just, I couldn't seem to have like a concrete identity, but the more I've read into things, the more I've realized that that's probably quite natural and healthy. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I ever really thought about that as when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I was more consumed about, I think I was just kind of consumed about who I thought I was yeah. and who I wasn't and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that was more the, the issue for me. Yeah. Because, yeah, for me, it was very much about jobs in particular I used to think okay this is the job I want to do and this is the personality that would get me to wash in that job yeah. which I found it's almost like you said limiting yourself by saying this is who I am and limiting scope for progression elsewhere I guess yeah, yeah. limits who you talk to as well like it's, it, it becomes very unconscious mm-hmm. um, I just think it yeah, a big part for me is just trying to make the unconscious conscious. Even being aware that you want you don't want to latch onto different ideologies allows you to have conversations that are a bit more open mm-hmm. and like it doesn't feel as like dogmatic or I'm trying to prove a point and trying to prove you wrong and stuff. That's why that's what will lead me to doing an episode. I did two episodes recently, one about abstract thinking, another one about lateral thinking. Okay. And I like talking about the thought process that it just gives you a level of distance. That, like these are thinking tools we're using rather than this point of view being me. And I started talking about like lateral thinking and I think there's just more playfulness, more fun, more creativity when you get a bit of distance from the way you see things. Uh, it's just less kind of, I always kind of felt on guard when I had a certain idea about things. I'd be on guard against the people who, who will, you, inevitably you will find people after a while who will knock your ideology. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's just, that's, the beauty of us both about life, everybody's so different. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I feel like you're leaving yourself vulnerable if you're like latched, latching onto a certain way of seeing things. Whereas now, I suppose that 
because I'm aware of that, it helps me with the, so if I'm latching onto some ideas that I'm not aware of, at least when I feel that feeling, I won't, my natural instinct won't be to continue on aggressing. It'll give me to get more curious about what, what nerve is that stricken with me there? Like what's, what, why am I kind of so attached to that idea, whatever idea that was? Uh-huh. So I find that a lot healthier than you could be unconscious of that just a continuous aggro with the certain types of people who are calling you out and things. Yeah. Do you feel that's improved your well-being a lot more? That you're not as attached to your ideas and your ideas aren't almost a part of yourself. So whenever someone disagrees or offers a different yeah. point of view, you're not as no, definitely. Maybe. It would help me to appreciate where they're coming from. I take the time to listen, like where is this person coming from? I don't assume that they have the same life experiences as me. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing. The other thing it helps me with is like difficult situations in your life where uh, something might happen and it might question, might leave you questioning your sense of who you are. I suppose that that's what happened to me when I went through a mental breakdown. I was like, who am I now? Like, if, mm-hmm. I thought I was this person just yesterday. Mm-hmm. And now I'm faced with this. And what does this mean about me? What does society tell me this means about me? But really kind of question all that. When you, when you kind of leave go of that, leave go of control about who you think you are, mm-hmm. when things do happen in your life, then I think you avoid some of the unnecessary suffering. A lot of the suffering is caused by just holding on to the image that was gone. That was a lot of, yeah. a lot of the suffering in my life. Like when things happen, you don't expect a lot of the suffering comes from what does this mean about me? And you start taking it personally and stuff. I'll breathe into emotions that come up for me. And I'll know there's, a, there's definitely some other way of looking at this. There's some other understanding I can get to here from this happening rather than taking it personally and, and like unnecessarily suffering so much. Uh-huh. And you, you kind of touched upon it about the idea of before you had your breakdown, you mm. quite a set idea of who you were. What's the yeah. difference between who you thought you were at the time and kind of Dennis of now, I guess? I honestly, I think there's more space there. It's just a feeling of being more conscious. The ideas of who I thought I was before, most of it was unconscious to me. I didn't know how much damage it was doing to me. Like it was just very limiting a lot of the time, my way of being. Um, that's not to say that I was completely closed-minded at the time because I think I was also seeking out, like I was living in France, I was learning new languages. I was speaking to lots of people anyway. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't as sure in myself. I was insecure. And then I, um, I did have a certain way of seeing myself. I also had like rules my mind would make up. Things like, I don't know, it was like um, sometimes it was, I said in my book, it was like somebody was hang, holding a gun to my head telling me I had to be consistent. You have to be like this all the time so people yeah. see you like this. Yeah. I had all these kind of unspoken things in my mind going on that I wasn't aware of. I just thought it was life. I thought, I just assumed this is, this mm-hmm. is my life. Like, I didn't ever question. I didn't think it was something to question. So I think the biggest thing is that there's more of a space and then more of an openness to like, I don't really know who I am. I don't know what this world is about, but I'm open to exploring it. I'm open to having new experiences and stuff. Would you say that you put a bit of pressure on yourself, maybe socially, if you say you had a really good connection with one person then you'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm this certain person. And then the next time you'd subconsciously pile on more pressure to yourself. Yeah, like I would have had a lot of pressure around what people thought of me. And again, I wouldn't have known that that was coming from my own mind. I would have thought that, that was the reality of the situation that I'm supposed to worry about this and yeah. this is really important and stuff. Yeah, that would, that would, I found that very, looking back on it, that was, 
that was really pressurizing. I'd always put pressure on myself that like when I'd be talking to somebody that it was a good conversation and that they came away, they, did, they liked me, Same. that type of thing. Well, some of it too is kind of growing up. I think we all kind of mm-hmm. gradually grow up and realize that everybody's not going to like us. So an element of that that happens in our... Yeah, because I've obviously loved sports growing up. And then once I stopped playing, I almost use kind of social interactions as a performance. So if I had a good interaction with someone, I'd be like, yes, on to the next one. So yeah. in, in that sense, I put loads of pressure on myself as well. And I think, because I'm quite a sociable person, but I come from a family of lots of introverts. So I also need my downtime. So I would be proper hard on myself if I had good interactions with three people and then that one person, I didn't give off the kind of self that I thought I was. Yeah. Would you, could you see similar things to yourself or? Yeah, I would, yeah. And, and just, you mentioned introvert there. Like, mm-hmm. I would say I'm, uh, if I'm going to choose an extra, extrovert and introvert, I would say introvert. And uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to be like other people. I wanted to fit in. I didn't know I was doing that to myself at the time, but I was very uneasy, like um, feeling like I didn't belong. Or feeling like, uh, or feeling weird. I kind of had a big thing about not, not wanting people to look at me as weird. I wanted them to look at me as part of the group and yeah. normal. That that uh, normal word. So I would, in that respect, I would have put a lot of pressure on. Again, it would have came back to how people were perceiving me. Uh, was one of them or or not? And then I would adjust my behaviors and actions. I don't know, I just kind of adjust my behaviours and actions to, to fit in. I was kind of like a chameleon, which I suppose can be, I think I saw being a chameleon as a good thing when I was younger, because you can fit in in different situations and get along, you can get along with a lot of different people. Yeah. What I was missing was that I didn't really have a solid sense of myself, kind of sacrificing myself to fit in rather than Today now, I would say that I'm more comfortable in myself. Yeah, I can interact with lots of different people, but I don't sacrifice myself. I don't put on a pretense or. Yeah, it's a slightly different. It's a different experience. I feel. Than before. Was, it, was it ever frustrating, kind of knowing that you were, kind of chameleon-like, and you can adapt, which is a good thing, but also yeah. not on which Dennis is going to need to turn up when he's speaking to a new person or something like that. You see, I would have never thought about it. Yeah, it was all kind of, a lot of it was unconscious to me. Like now I think through things, all right. But uh, see, I think it's difficult because you've got one experience of life and you don't really have a contrast until you do have a contrast. Yeah. And so I, all I can remember, the first time I went to France and I was on the plane, I was like, I could be anybody here if I wanted to be. I can remember that thought. Well, like I'd be so unconscious to it. I'd have that thought, but I'd never think of it again. Like it just kind of came into my head. Whereas now, I think about it, I kind of just reflect on it and put it out there and kind of live that experience. Whereas before, like I, I think because my sense of identity was so strong, I kind of wanted that, but I didn't believe it was true. So even if I was in a different country with different people, I would still act the same way I was at home. It's uh-huh. that, it's that saying that wherever you are, there, is, there you will be. Like it's that you can't get away from your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, would you say that you've always, well, not always, because obviously you're not like three years old and saying I'm an introvert, but have you always been quite comfortable with being an introvert or is that a side of you that maybe you put a bit of pressure on yourself to not be? 
yeah, I, I don't think I was comfortable with it. It's only been in recent years I've grown to be comfortable with it because, again, I didn't really have a language around it. I didn't realize there's a lot of other people like me mm. like that. I kind of just had this idea in my head that you're supposed to be social and outgoing. You're supposed to go, go drinking at the weekends. You're supposed to, to like all of this stuff. And I found, like, I think that's how I kind of copped on to social conditioning. I was like, I didn't, I didn't actually like alcohol, the taste for the first time, but I grew to like it because I, like I, I just made myself like it. Yeah. Um, and that's when I was like looking at it. Well, like if I did that that way, I could start doing it in a positive way. Like when it came to reading books and it came to um, just going to the gym more and, and different stuff. Uh, so with the introvert thing, no, I, I think I'm more comfortable today because I, I actually see people around me more now and I can kind of recognize hey, they're, they're quite introverted. I can kind of understand their why they are the way they are now, whereas before I didn't. And I probably actually judged the introvert because I wasn't allowing myself to be that way. Okay, yeah. So again, it's all, I think it all boils down to, again, lack of understanding, lack of language, lack of knowing what was going on for me, mm-hmm. lack of really connecting with like, how am I feeling about things? And yeah, yeah it wasn't just so much kind of self-judging to myself. Because I guess society is very geared towards you're supposed to be social. Mm. When you're in school, it's almost the loudest, most confident person that's answering the questions that's deemed as the, the good person. So in a way, it's difficult to accept introversion, I think. Like it's only, it was only until recently I was quite like, okay, I think I'm an introvert. Because I remember I've always, like, I went to America and I was, it was, have you heard of Camp America before? Is that? Camp America, it's called. No, Camp America. Yeah, so you just work at like a summer camp in America. And I was living with like 30 different people. I had like five people in my room. And at that stage, I was drained almost every day. So at that point, I kind of just accepted I'm not always going to be able to be the most social and gregarious with everybody. Was there a certain point for you that you kind of accepted? Yeah, I think it's probably been the last few years when doing the podcast and writing my book and writing the book I'm doing at the moment. Now I've been, it's been a process, but I'm now more accepting of like, not, I think like a lot of the pressure is probably coming from other people's reactions too. I kind of took it on board. That mm-hmm. They want you to go out, they want you to be social. And I think it was an element of me convincing myself that this is actually the person I am, like that person talking to people and stuff, wanting, wanting to go out. Oh uh, yeah, no, I'd say in the last few years now, because I, I kind of stopped just automatically going out every weekend, drinking a few years ago. And so it's been small changes. I just found it was very strong in me, the desire to, to be like everybody else. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it's taken, taken a while. But no, I, I definitely say I'm more comfortable because I, I would say to people opening now that I feel more introverted and, like, uh, this is what I like to do, and yeah. I'm gradually finding out what I want to do, too, to be honest. Uh-huh. So if we look a bit into your podcast and writing, what stage did you realize this is what I'd quite like to do? I think it was when I left university, when I, when I went to France that time, and that's when I had the mental breakdown, too. I can remember I was, like, really getting, I was really getting into writing. I was, like, I can remember I was writing, like, streams of consciousness, and I was really, like, I was getting so excited about the whole thing because I felt like I was kind of accessing par- a part of myself that I never knew existed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's 
when I knew writing was for me because I was doing it because I was feeling these feelings I didn't have before or they, I wasn't really channeling. I felt like channeling feelings that I, I'd never really channeled before. Yeah. And that's kind of when it, that's when it dawned on me that this is what I want to do. Then it became complicated because I went through a mental breakdown at the same time as that happened, writing my first blog. Um, see, at that time too, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. That's when I was seeing the amount of anxiety I was living with around what people think. Mm-hmm. I was putting a blog online and knowing that people from home can read it. And that's when all the anxiety was surfacing and then anger was surfacing. I didn't know what to do with it. I had no kind of coping skills. But yeah, so I stopped writing for a while after that because I, I went doing a master's in translation it was complicated because the first time i did that i had to drop out i was doing it in dublin because like i was on medication and i was um just tired all the time i was taking naps up during the day and stuff and when i look back on it it was so kind of naive at the time that like i had a breakdown went on antipsychotic medication a few months later i was doing my master's in translation and it was then i kind of appreciated that fucking hell, there's a lot of intellectual stuff that goes into doing a master's yeah. or like in my degree I never I'd never really taken it for I'd kind of taken it for granted mm-hmm. and that was another thing that was pissed me off at the time I was like because I kind of felt like I was surrounded by some people that they took the mental realm for granted so they often look at me as being lazy when I'd be working on when I'd be working intellectually and, and they might be doing more physical stuff uh-huh. I felt a kind of a sense of resentment that this guy doesn't work at all because it wasn't really appreciated and so that would get on top of me again because I wouldn't know that the death feelings coming from within me. Uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, like I dropped out of the masters. Then I remember that was very tough to take as well because that was the first time I would have dropped out of like an academic thing. I went doing teaching English for a little bit, and then it was like a year later I went doing a masters in Swansea, uh, in Wales. So I did, did the second time. I finished it the second time. That was was better, and then. I think it was when I came back to Dublin then, I would have met my friend who was learning to code. That's when I took an interest in coding. And I think then is when I started writing a blog again. I think I was 2015. Call it like the idea board because I just wanted to talk about ideas. Yeah, I think that's when I got back into writing again. I was like just writing a lot of blog posts. And, and then from the podcast, then a woman in America, Lisa Caprelli, she found me. And then she kind of got me to write the book. And then she met, she introduced me with Davey, her cousin, who does the artwork for the podcast now. Okay. And for the, for the that books. looks brilliant, by the way. It looks really good, the artwork. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So that was actually connected to when I was younger. I, was, I remember being like 60 years old or pretty young. And I, I wanted to be an artist, a cartoonist. I just mm-hmm. kind of remember people telling me, no, you can't do that. And you remember just kind of feeling that, fuck, you can't actually do what you want to do in the world. Mm-hmm. So... When this kind of came up, then I was like, yeah, I'll go with it because this reminds me of the child. Because a lot of my process was reconnecting with the child I was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But when I was in the thick of my mental breakdown, I was like, fuck this. Fuck the, the outside world telling me who I am and who I should be and stuff. And let's go back to how I felt as a child. That's why I went with the artwork then because it just reminded me of that time and like realizing a dream my childhood self wanted to realize. So mm-hmm. I'd be a big believer that that's the time where you're most yourself is like maybe zero to five because it's not that social conditioning in place then. Uh-huh. So if you can remember back to how you felt then, what you're drawn to naturally, they're good indicators of like what you're here to do. And then I think what's kind of helped me with the podcast and with the books is that 
I've never done it for the money. So it's, I got, you know, that was an idea that was very strong. That was very limiting because I was quite embarrassed about doing the podcast because people would ask me, why are you doing it? If you're not doing it for money, like what's my name? I've had that so many times, yeah. Yeah, so whereas now I'm kind of, because I've seen the benefits over the last three years now, three, four years mm-hmm. for me mentally and psychologically, yeah. now I'm okay in it. But three years ago when I didn't know the benefits of this, Mm-hmm. I found that a very challenging idea of like being an adult and doing something that isn't for money that most people would be like, you should be doing that for money or. Yeah. Do, do you feel that you've always had a certain layer of creativity? Cause if we go back to other people's perceptions, I think a lot of people would probably think coding and computers, someone that's good at that doesn't necessarily correlate with someone that's really creative. So do you feel that that's always been something you've been good at? Uh, I suppose when I was younger, like uh, I would have been into drawing. I would have been into drawing, and I when I look back, and I was quite good all rounded things. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I kind of touched on the book. I kind of when I got into the system, the education system too, because I was quite insecure. I kind of was picking up on this being a SWAT thing, and I was taking it to heart. And then I wanted to be more average. And I just kind of found that after a while, I just kind of numb myself. I didn't want to stand out, and then. But then my creativity, I suppose it was French, learning French in secondary school and going to university to study French. Mm-hmm. That would have been one of the things that I felt uneasy about doing because nobody I knew around me uh, had done that. Nobody had gone to university and studied French from where I am. Or none of my friends would be talking about why like, nobody would be interested in that. So that made me uneasy. But that was actually the thing that I feel like connected me with creativity and art and emotion. And it was like in France that time, I come across language hacking. It was that book fluent in six months or fluent in three months, and I was looking into language hackers, and that was where I think where my creativity was sparked again. Because in order to be like a language hacker, you have to think unconventionally about things. You can't just do the traditional way of learning a language because you you just get the same results everybody else does. So I think that's where the creativity was sparked again. And since then, then that's how I got into programming. I wouldn't have got into programming only for I started questioning. What is programming? It's computer programming language. How can I look at this like another language to learn? And mm-hmm. now that I'm in it, like again, there would have been a lot of stereotypes around who a computer programmer is in my mind before yeah. I started actually doing it and meeting people then that had other interests outside programming. I always kind of felt like programmers would just be like tunnel focus in technology and programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've met a lot of programmers that are just as interested in like reading books or football and. Yeah. Other stuff like well, you know. Yeah. Do you think that outside perceptions of certain personalities that almost kind of doesn't allow room for expansion? And because people are constantly being told, if you have this as an interest, yeah, you can have an interest in this. Do you think that has an effect on it? I think so. Yeah. I think it's it's um it's labels. I think we do it to ourselves unconsciously mm-hmm. too. We pick up on these labels about like, I do this, so what does this mean about me? Mm-hmm. Or I do that, so I can't do this. Yeah. I think we pick up on all that messaging subliminally, unconsciously. I think that's been a process for me. Again, like, um, like being able to do the podcast and write a book and still being interested in football and sports. Yeah. That I'm not like either an art guy or a football guy. Uh-huh. Who's you your team? That? Well, Man United, Man United be my uh, football yeah. or soccer team, and Kerry then would be Gaelic football. Uh-huh. And, uh, 
yeah, I suppose they're, they're the, the main ones. And I like rugby as well. Like I, I watch Ireland and uh, yeah. Oh, where you where are you from actually? So I'm from Glasgow. Okay. Yeah, so I'm from Glasgow, but I'm originally from Dundee, which is like up north, right up at the the top of uh-huh. Scotland. Yeah. Who's your team then? The rugby or soccer? Or? So that's the thing. I'm actually like rugby's my main sport that I play, but I'm more into watching football. So I support oh, okay. United and Scotland, I guess, for rugby. Like I used to watch the Warriors, and that's kind of how I knew about Adam. When, yeah. How did how did you find interviewing him? I thought he was he was brilliant because he kind of yeah, was really to the, the likes of Jamie Smart and Garrett Kramer and stuff like that. Oh, was it through Adam? Then you met, or you got introduced to like Jamie Smart and yeah, you got introduced oh. to that kind of understanding and the three principles and non-duality and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I would have. I think it was. I was. What did it start? I think I read Jamie's book results. Mm-hmm. And then in Dublin, there was a guy who did like a personal develop kind of personal development meetups that I was kind of familiar with. And then he mentioned a guy called Anquish, which was mentored by Jamie. Okay. And then because Jamie Smart was written there, I was like, oh, he's the guy who wrote the book. So I went to that coaching thing then with Anquish. And Anquish was, I kind of like did some coaching with him for a while. And then I met, or did I, then I decided to do Jamie's Clarity coaching training for a year. Uh-huh. And it was during that year that I, I think he mentioned about Adam Ash doing an interview on BBC okay. and I reached out to Adam Ash because I was starting a podcast around the same time uh-huh. I reached out to Adam Ash and then Grayson Hart as well was the other guy he put me in contact with after that oh yeah and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah so yeah they're nice guys I know they're nice guys and interesting as well see yeah. on the topic of results I've obviously not read the book <laughs> but see when you first started out doing your podcasting and your writing was there a particular aim? Was it purely just an opportunity to express yourself? Or did you also, on one hand, want to almost entertain the masses and for it to become big and have outcomes that you were looking for? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think, it, was always deep, I think it was always a self-expression. Uh-huh. I think at the start, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of thought, yeah, this will probably take off. Yeah, but uh-huh. then I realized when I've gone through it, this is a this is a grind. Like you have to really love it to keep doing it, uh-huh. and that's where it being a thing about self expression. That's always kept me doing it because I see the, I see the benefit internally of self expression. Like it gets so much off your chest. You discover you have a better sense of who you are, what you like, and just even the conversations. Like I, that was always lacking in my life when I was younger. I just couldn't really express it. I, I always wanted like deeper conversation but it's not something you could just tell somebody I want deeper conversation you have to like, find it and I just like now in hindsight I can see the podcast has been a great vehicle for that for me to because like when people are on my podcast we get straight to the heart of the matter like like what are we here to talk about are we about a book or are we about like a person and mm-hmm. uh, so you get straight to the deeper stuff there's no kind of like dancing around and stuff like that yeah do you feel because obviously at the end of your, your podcast, you always say, enjoy the process. How important do you think it is to enjoy the process? Because I know from doing this, previously in writing projects, I've been all about getting as many reads as possible. And then I would be quite disheartened if I wasn't getting the reads. For yeah. Talking about psychology and sports psychology, I just love doing that. So I don't even look at the stats that much, but because I'm just enjoying what I'm doing, the reads are actually going up a little bit. Yeah. 
yeah, like that, that's what always has kept me going. It's like focus on the process. Like, that's the only thing I can control is like the focus on the process. If I focus too much on the numbers and stuff, I'll either try and create content that I think people will like, mm. or I'll get disheartened when the likes aren't going up as quickly as I think they're going to go up. Yeah. I think the whole environment is quite illusionary. I don't think people realize how hard it is to actually put out good work and then get some traction, how long that actually takes. So I, like, I think the focusing on the process is fundamental. And also when you think about it, the validation has to come from within. If you are getting a big following, but there's no real internal validation from the thing, mm-hmm. then the whole thing is an illusion. It's like you, you feel like this thing over here is giving you these feelings. And if it's yeah. taken away from you, you're going to be devastated. So it's not really built in a solid foundation. Yeah, your well-being is at the mercy of other people and your happiness, I guess. It's a measurement, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult yeah. place to be in, a toxic place. Yeah, so like when you kind of look at it from that perspective, I guess I have that perspective because I went through a breakdown. Uh-huh. Uh, so in the long term, you might have like a short-term gain, but you're going to have to go through a lot of psychological work if it's an illusion you're building. Mm-hmm. if you want to get a deeper sense of feel, if your ultimate goal is a deeper sense of fulfillment and happiness in your life and connection to other people then those things I think they build walls more than anything they build illusions so that kind of keeps me going just kind of that perspective yeah would you say that you've learned stuff as well from uh, the guests that you've had on yeah definitely yeah I think the biggest thing would be just different perspectives people from different backgrounds I think at the start I and even now, at the start, I would have been, in other words, some, like if you're talking to somebody, in some ways, a reflection of you, the type of person you're talking to. So I would have kind of had rever- reservations maybe around people who might be talking more esoteric things that if people see me talking to people who are talking about esoteric things and what are they going to think of me? Yeah. So in that way, I felt that podcasts really helped me, that like it's, it's helped me to just, uh, just be in conversations with people and not necessarily having to agree, disagree all the time. Just have a, like an open conversation and see where it goes. Yeah, and like I would have authors on the podcast, so I, I often talk about like what's their process. So I get kind of insights into is there kind of a general process people have, or is it all different? And uh-huh. try and try and find out things like that. Yeah, well, that, that leads me on nicely to to my question: What's your process? So if you're doing an interview. How are you planning yeah. kind of mental space are you in? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've been thinking about that recently. Should I mix it up a bit? Generally, up until now, what I've done is I will research the person. If they have a book, I'll read it. And then I might write down a few questions, but I never stick to the questions. I just have a conversation. And I only write out the questions because I want to have a general sense of where I want to go with this or what I want to find out. Mm-hmm. But then I just sit down and have the conversation because it might actually go somewhere different. So that's kind of the process I've had yeah. up until now. Yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of about making it flow. Because if you've got clear set questions and someone said something really interested, and then you're like, right, cool, next question, you can miss out, I think. And it's the listening part. It's like if you've got set questions you need to stick to, then uh-huh. you, you won't listen as deeply as you could if you had no questions in mind. Like, and you'll think of questions that you wouldn't have thought of without being in conversation with somebody. Yeah, no, 100%. Because uh, I don't know if you could tell, but I have absolutely no notes for this one. I'm purely just going off of what you're saying. Got, got like a few bullet points of kind of topics, but I think at the start when I first started doing this, I had like to the word what I was going to say 
the little pauses between each gaps and stuff like that. And it just, it didn't flow as well. And it, I think you put a lot of pressure under yourself too when it's like set questions need to get through. Yeah. I feel like, but for me, you know, I think that's... Yeah. That put me off. Uh-huh. Yeah, because would you say that other people must be different in the sense that they're at their best, whether it's interviewing, whether it's performing in sports, doing art, when they've got a clear idea of what it is they need to do. Because I know I'm at my best when I'm just taking things as they come. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's taking it day by day. It's like leaving things open to evolution. Mm-hmm. Where I'm at with the podcast there now and the, and the books I write, I couldn't have preempted it. Like I have to kind of, I have a, like a general idea of where this needs to go. But then I feel things out. That's kind of how I write books as well. I was just thinking about it today. If I had a process for writing books, it's that I, I get curious about a feeling I've had. So the book I'm writing at the moment is called The Edge, uh-huh. Finding Your Creative Edge. And what I wanted to explore was this psychological line you're walking as a creative person. That you're putting work out there. You're trying to be yourself, be unique, and you're going to be judged for that by the group and I found that I've always found that unnerving psychologically how are people going to look at you how are your best friends going to even look at you if they see a different party will they not want to be friends anymore yeah so that type of line so I wanted to explore that to normalize that for somebody reading it that this is actually a part of the creative process and it's not just you like that's that's part of the process and so uh I just find with that like when I write books from a sense of a feeling that I want to explore. I find it more exciting, the whole process. Like if it was something, I, had, I did try and write a book where I was I trying to accumulate all the ideas I picked up over the years. And I found it really boring. What I wanted to do was explore feelings that I've always had, but I've never really understood. Uh-huh. And in, in doing that, then I can express that into words and then actually understand parts of my own experience. And in doing at the same time as well, help people who are a little bit maybe behind me and the path, on a similar path. Well, yeah, all, all that then wouldn't come from preempting things. You have to kind of live in the moment, have a general idea of where you're going. Like things I keep in mind to be self-education, creativity, art, writing, uh, like meta-thinking, meta-learning. It, th- those would be kind of the things I would aim in. But then after that, it's open to wherever this is going to go. Whatever feels right, then I go up my gut and then after that. Yeah, because I think what's really authentic about your podcast is when you're explaining things, there's certain moments where it's like that's the first time it's occurred to you and like you're learning as well. Yeah, I think I think Davey was saying it to me recently. I think my podcast, or it was a friend actually, I think my podcast is like self-reflections. I just kind of read a lot, I think a lot, and then I go on the podcast and I'll just talk about something that I want to talk about. Yeah. And yeah, I don't even, I rarely script even the podcast stuff I do myself. The odd times I might have some bullet points made out. Mm-hmm. But what I do sometimes is that like I'll, maybe a 20 minute podcast i'll speak for however long i speak it might be 10 minutes then i listen back and what i'm listening back i might think of something else so i start the next segment but then uh-huh. uh, so i wasn't kind of expecting but again doing the podcast it just helps me to get comfortable expressing feelings getting me into that habit of expressing feelings rather than i used to kind of bottle it up mm-hmm. when i was around people and uh, suppress emotions like even i suppose when I was younger, it was more important to me to appear to be confident and bottle things up rather than actually be human, like be genuine. Yeah. And uh, maybe not always appear to be confident 
then you know that's what I'm aiming to get comfortable with. Yeah. Do you feel there is slowly becoming a bit more of an emphasis on, especially within males, I guess, as well, being able to open up and show emotions and kind of talk about the things that you talk about on the podcast? I think so. No, I do get the feeling that, especially I suppose since the pandemic and the lockdowns and stuff, I think we've had to sit with our thoughts and feelings a bit more. And I think people are starting to open up a bit more and realize that, geez, it's like a weight lifting off you when you feel like you've got people in your life you can more openly speak to and be honest about things and stuff. It's like taking off all that kind of layers of social conditioning that kind of weighs you down mm-hmm. from actually. And it's also just connecting with people. I found the more I've been, it can be uncomfortable, but it's um, the more I've been able to feel things, the more I've actually understood what human connection actually feels like. Yeah. And I just noticed like kind of addictions in my thinking and behaviors I've gradually fallen away over time as I've gotten comfortable with feelings and yeah. just trying to connect with people. What would an example be of kind of thoughts and feelings that were weighing you down a little bit? It would be the anxiety. So like for me, wanting to appear to be confident, there was a lot of anxiety that went into that facade uh, that I wouldn't have so much now when I'm okay with not appearing to be confident. So it would be anxiety it would be, I think looking back on it, I live with so much anxiety, especially in university. Yeah. I did, and I wasn't aware of it. I, I, was, I always felt on edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like an undercurrent of being on edge, being anxious. And it was tied into just how other people are perceiving me. So as I've been like feeling into things a bit more, mm-hmm. I suppose you're just understanding where those feelings are actually coming from in your attempt to avoid those feelings that you don't want to feel, you're so focused, your, your unconscious mind, I guess, is so focused on everybody else, how they perceive you and stuff, that yeah. you don't realize how damaging that is to live like that, uh-huh. compared to just kind of feeling the emotions and just seeing where that goes. And like what will happen over time too is that you probably will drift away from people who aren't feeling into their emotions, who aren't comfortable with that. They just won't feel that comfortable with you. Yeah. So uh, I suppose that's probably... The fear, that's why it's part of the unknown. That's the fearful part of the unknown is that like, when you are feeling into the stuff, you don't know what's really going to change your life for better or for worse. Usually it's for better. It just might seem for worse in the moment, like for, for a little bit of time, you know. What would you say just now your confidence, uh, your relationship with confidence is? Because a lot of people, I get the feeling, think that confidence is being the loudest person in the room, kind of dominating conversations. When oftentimes I think that it's, should be based on kind of owning everything and understanding who you are. Yeah, it's, I, it's funny you mentioned, I, I think I had that perception too, that I had to kind of speak up more, I had to be less shy, I had to interact with people more, and it put a lot of pressure on me. I didn't feel confident because it was a fake confidence I was trying to imbue. What's happened for me though over time, I suppose, especially with the podcast and writing, is I actually realized my confidence comes from listening to people. Mm-hmm. and then just engaging in a conversation because there's, there's so much you, you don't feel under pressure if you're just listening to somebody yeah. and then like when you listen to somebody it's kind of recipro- it's reciprocal too like people get the sense when you're listening to somebody so they'll listen to you when you talk yeah mm-hmm. so that's kind of what i learned is that that for me is where true confidence is and that's accepting my more introverted nature which would open myself up to talking less listening more mm-hmm. and uh yeah, just realizing that that's, that's, I think that's 
that's where I'm finding my confidence. It's counterintuitive. That's not that's not something people will sell you. Yeah. That you're listening, listening, listening to people and mm-hmm. that's where your confidence will come from. Because yeah, that's why i I think personally I have a weird relationship with some self-help books that are almost prescribing different ideas to for people to act as if they aren't actually themselves. So it's saying, oh, be confident, be the most loudest. But some people are yeah. just not loud people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can go down a rabbit hole too. I I think I've steered, I've, I've steered more and more away from uh, step-by-steps. And I, I guess because I've gradually figured out what works for me. Yeah. And now I'm more curious about, like, I'm just curious about interesting people and reading interesting books. So I've actually started reading more, I think, more fiction in the last while. As I'm starting to see, like, true fiction, there's some great stories that I teach you about life. I, I didn't really see that so much when I was younger, that, that that's what fiction could be. So, yeah, I think nowadays I'm more fixated on just, like, just just talking to interesting people you can share perspectives about things especially i suppose like in novels and fiction sometimes you can explore difficult topics like i'm reading a book at the moment uh kira garrett is the author and it's the the rules of the road and like it's talking about a woman who's got ms who's going to switzerland to kill herself and her friend wanting to stop her who's bringing her grandfather along who's got alzheimer's Uh so you're reading the story and it's like touching all these like painful experiences and it's helping you to understand like how people relate to like it's helping to understand like just the the process and some life lessons around things that are in society but we don't know exactly how to deal with because they're so complex and difficult to deal with yeah would you say that there's a type of personality that maybe previously you struggled to have a connection with or feel like you clicked with them but now having a broader perspective and understanding that confidence can come from listening to people is there any personality type that you struggled with previously yeah i think i've been noticing in 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 recent months it'd be aggressive people are a bit aggressive i've i've been better able to deal with that now as in um because it was kind of playing into my own passive aggressiveness i wasn't comfortable I wasn't comfortable in that energy, but what's kind of helped me is to just listen where they're coming from, appreciate the good points to it as well. Like mm-hmm. aggressiveness, people who are aggressive can also just be to the point and the direct. Yeah. So trying to understand where is that aggressiveness coming from? Mm-hmm. What's a positive to it that I might be overlooking? Because that just helps me to take the charge away from taking it so personally. Yeah. It's very easy to take it personally. So I've gradually been seeing my relationship with those types of people improving and i didn't really expect that i, I kind of just ex- i kind of thought that i would um just accept that i don't like these types of people i'll just have to move on uh-huh. but because it's not the person it's the kind of archetype they represent it's the type of person mm-hmm. that's pulling out their strings they're never really going to go away you'll just meet them in a different farm somewhere else so now now i've been like no i need to like start looking at this a bit differently and it's been like that it's been like, what's the positive to this even though it doesn't feel like it's positive Mm-hmm. where could they be coming from it's those types of questions in the, that help me to it just creates a bit more space i don't yeah. feel as triggered have you read the book surrounded by idiots i've seen it mentioned now i haven't read it i just saw it on yeah. instagram a few days ago no that's a, that's a really interesting book and it kind of opened my eyes to the different personality types and previously the ones that i thought i just don't get on with you and then you read yeah. about it 
and you sort of get a little bit of a better understanding of where they're coming from, what's going on in their head, and why they're acting the way they are. So I've particularly found that interesting. I thought it helped a lot. I think just trying to even put some put yourself in somebody's shoes helps a lot too. Yeah. I used to just kind of take it personally and not really want to. Because when you take it personally, you really don't want to see it from their point of view. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the likes of the Myers-Briggs personality profile? Don't think I did some tests there before. It wasn't Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. It was some other one. But it did, I didn't remember thinking it helped me at the time because it just helped me to uh, understand the type of thinker I was. I think yeah. I was like high analytical or something. It helped me to categorize uh-huh. why I've got the job I have. Uh, what are my strengths? Mm-hmm. I did it, I think, actually, because I wanted to focus, I wanted to understand what are my strengths in a more objective way, what are my weaknesses, just for it to be clearer to me, because with that, then you can see what people can compliment you, mm-hmm. and you can focus also on like what you're good at, because sometimes you can take for granted what you're good at. I think oftentimes you can take for granted what you're good at, mm-hmm. so it's uh, important to just clear on what, what, what are you good at. Uh-huh. Because I used it personally, and for like a good while, I thought, oh, this is brilliant. I've got a clear understanding of who I am. But again, it doesn't work like that. We're too complex to just say, oh, I'm an INTP, and this is how I act in this situation. I think, well, me, I, I didn't approach it from a, I don't know what it's called, personality test. I didn't approach it from a personality. Uh-huh. I approached it from a thinking. Like, so I was focused on analytical thinker. or So I was, it was like the thinking tools I was looking at. I think if you approach it from a personality, yeah, it can become like this identity that you take on that isn't actually uh, real. Yeah, you find that a lot. I've got Reddit and I've, I'm part of a few communities which are based on that. And it's like they tailor their personality to that personality profile, I guess, as opposed to the personality profile tailoring to who they actually are. Yeah, yeah. there should be a flexibility. Like, I would say I'm I'm more introverted, but I don't like cling to that identity. I'm an introvert because it's not, it's, it's it's a spectrum as well. Like I'm an introvert, but I also have no problem talking to people. Uh-huh. So that's not really something you would say an introvert would have. I just pay like I pay more attention to like the energy. Mm-hmm. It helps me to explain why I feel so drained in groups of people. I don't really get energized by it, and why I feel an inclination to want solid more solitude in my life. So it helps me to understand that about myself. So that when people don't get that about me, I'm okay with that because they're not the type. They're not the same type of person. Then. Yeah, because I think especially a lot of people misdiagnose introversion because a lot of people I think perceive it as people that just have no confidence socially, and yeah. because they're like, "Oh, I'm an introvert," then they almost become okay with not doing social things and being good with people and trying to develop. Social skills. Yeah, you can use you can use it as a limitator to your potential. Like you can call like I'm not doing this because of that. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's also such a thing as like comfort zones, moving outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think you just know that on an individual level, whether something's like doesn't feel like a match for you, or whether it's just something you want to do deep down, but you're just not there yet. So it needs to be something you. It's your comfort zone. You need to expand there. Yeah. I think we can feel that out when we attune more with ourselves and better understanding of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about what's the, the kind of future for your podcast and right and where you're hoping to go with it. I'm hoping to go with, well, it's to keep going. I would like to have it do like a, 
have an animated film someday. Okay. I don't know how that would. I just put that out there. Maybe ten years time. Yeah. Maybe somebody somebody would buy the rights to the book and uh, uh-huh. create an animated feature film or something. Uh-huh. But in this, like, I'm just going to keep on doing the podcast. I do it like every five days at the moment. I kind of do it every every week to keep that mm-hmm. going. Uh, published the second book this year. I just continued doing books and the podcast. I think I'll just continue to self-publish books. It kind of crossed my mind to try and get a publisher. Mm-hmm. But then I was also thinking I would like to also in the future help people to publish books. And I think my motto would be that the story, the life lessons are more important than profit, the money. So that's the thing that comes first, not anti-profit or whatever. But I think the story and the truth like of the matter are more important in the long term. So that's kind of why I've oriented my life where I, I'm never dependent on money from my books or the podcast. Mm-hmm. I've got a, I've got my own job. I've got other, so another source of income. Mm-hmm. So I think that actually helps. Like when you don't have, when you, I think I'll probably always have it in some capacity that I'll never depend on writing or the podcast for money. Because I just think it will dilute the message if I'm dependent on it. Yeah. It's a psychological flexibility. It's like I'm open to having it as a, a stream of income, diversification. But uh, yeah, so I'm in the future now. It's just like. Hopefully, continue doing the artwork, podcast, meeting new people, mm-hmm. um, and then my hope is that it will spread outwards in like my immediate surroundings, my community, and people around me will be able to take more interest in what I'm doing or understand what I'm doing and mm-hmm. see the benefit to it. Yeah, and and how have you found answering the questions as opposed to asking them? I actually quite like it because it helps me to, to think about things in a different yeah. way. Like you'd be asking me questions I mightn't have thought of before. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, no, it's nice. It's nice to, I suppose, uh, it's, nice to, it's nice to just kind of, it's nice to just articulate where you're at with things. And I suppose someone take an interest. I think that's, that's the other thing as well. <laughs> yeah. Because is it ever tempting when you're interviewing people? I know that you say that you're naturally a listener, but is there ever points where you're like, oh, I want to put my point of view across? Uh, not that I can remember recently. Mm-hmm. I think maybe at the start I was worried about coming across as intelligent. Uh-huh. And there's probably still a part of me still that's like that, as well, I think, to be honest. I don't want to be saying stupid shit. Like even on even in the podcast episode, episodes I do, I look back at them sometimes and like I might record it and it would be I'm happy with the energy I'm happy with, with what I did it was the best I could do that day uh-huh. and I'd noticed that I I, I I did something wrong as in I might have said the book title wrong or I did this wrong yeah and that kind of bugs me that I'd like to have it perfect but if I try and like script it then I might not even think of the book title because it's, yeah, it's, exactly. uh, mm-hmm. it's the other thing I think of but uh, no like I think. Probably because I, I suppose I express my own points of view, my own opinions, what's on my mind in some podcasts. And then I use the interviews as more of an opportunity to yeah. listen to somebody else. And then if I can add to it, I'll add to the conversation. Yeah, I suppose I just try and create an environment where it's just a conversation. I don't want it to be like a writer who's right and who's wrong kind of yeah. uh, dynamic that's going on there. Yeah, I just want to, um, I suppose I just want to have a, create a space where somebody can feel heard and speak things out and also people listening in can feel what that feels like so they can actually do that in their own life a bit more as well. Uh-huh. 
Because Castillo, it was, was an artist you spoke to a couple of weeks ago, was it? Who's that? Was there an artist that you spoke to a couple of weeks ago and she lives in Brazil or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought she, was, she was interesting. It wasn't the kind of usual thing I would listen to, but as you say, it kind of opens different points of view and different perspectives. Yeah, like I, I enjoyed that interview again. I, I didn't expect to be talking about the things we were talking about. I had no idea what we were going to be talking about. Uh-huh. And she covered things like ayahuasca. And that's something that I would have liked to have a conversation around. And then yeah. it just comes up then in, in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, so cool. it's, I think it's good because it's like, I think you cover a lot of important, like she even talked about her anxiety or depression, that type of stuff. That's not something that I could just preempt. It's mm-hmm. something that kind of either comes up or it doesn't. And I also don't want to put the pressure on anybody to speak about things they don't want to talk about and stuff. So, of course. Yeah. And also like, I think people are like, especially people who are on a personal growth process, they'll often open up about things because they, they, they realize how important it is to actually speak things out and to help the listeners to understand that it's a burden you're lifting off yourself when you can speak things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of allowing to unravel naturally, I guess, as opposed to talk about this, talk about that, cool, see you later, bye. <laughs> yeah, I think that's similar to that in society where it's like we know what to talk about, we kind of talk about it, we have a lot of time for it. But it doesn't feel very natural. Like kind of, I want it to be more like just organic and it unfolds as it unfolds. And mm-hmm. you don't exactly know what you're going to get all the time. Yeah. 100%. Well, uh, having said that, I've got some quick fire questions, if that's all right, which are. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So describe yourself in three words. Three words. Artistic, creative, quiet. And how would your family or friends describe you in three words? quite I would say good listener out there mm-hmm. and what energizes you the most it would be expressing myself in the podcast mm-hmm. and having a meaningful conversation with somebody that I got to know them yeah did you get a good buzz from that yeah, I do. Like, I, I really appreciate now like, that I could have spent my whole life not knowing people around me. It's so easy to do that. And yeah. now that I'm like, able to have a bit more open conversations, I'm like, geez, I would have never known that about that person. I would have never. So I do like that now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've been the same. Like, it almost gives you a good excuse to just have a good deep chat with someone and say, oh, it's, it's, it's for, my, for my blog. But it actually does help me as well. And I feel energized from it as well. So I can, I can relate. Yeah, I think it's, it spreads out into your, your life as well. I've definitely had more open conversations with friends and family. Yeah. Probably because I've just got into the habit of doing it in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, biggest drainer? Biggest drainer? I, I think for me, it's, it's being in, in group settings, like big groups of people. Uh-huh. I, when I come away from that or even when I'm in it, depending on the group, but I often feel drained and I, I just feel kind of drained by the whole experience. Yeah, like, not as energetic. Intimate, I guess. Yeah, I think it's that sense that what I just said a while ago, what, what, what energizes me, like connection to somebody and getting to know them. Uh-huh. I often don't get that in a group. I could walk into a group and not really have a meaningful chat with anyone. Yeah. And I walk away kind of drained. Like, what did I get from that experience? Mm-hmm. So I find energetically that's often the biggest trainer for me, yeah. depending on the group. But I was kind of sum up, see, when we had the first lockdown, it allowed me to really see what friends 
are genuine, authentic friendships as opposed to just people that you meet and have a drink with or something like that. Yeah, I happen to be there just talk about current events or yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've had similar, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what motivates you? It's quite a broad one, but take it wherever you want. What motivates me? I would say it's self-actualization. It's being myself and in turn, other people become themselves. I just think the world becomes a lot more interesting than you're just not carbon copies and yeah. different things. Like your conversations become different. Your life feels different. You become lighter. feels a bit more of an adventure. Mm-hmm. And people being more present, being more present in the here and now. So yeah, that's what I'm motivated by. Just uh, I know the more I can genuinely self-actualize, Mm-hmm. People around me will too, and uh, that's what motivates me. I think. Yeah, because that reminds me. It's a quote that I've heard of. I can't remember for the life of me who it was, but he talks about how literally everybody is so interesting individually, and we all have different stories. But kind of groups, it kind of dumbs it down a little bit, and you're not able to to gain the insight that everybody actually has. Like everyone has depth, regardless of what your perception of them are. You just need yeah. to have the opportunity to actually speak to them, I guess. Exactly. And I think when you take an interest in somebody, then they'll be able to express that more. They actually learn about themselves because it's, 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 it's actually quite rare that somebody takes a genuine interest in hearing what you're saying yeah. without any kind of hidden agenda or mm-hmm. just being in their own head about thinking what they're going to say to you. Yeah. Like asking you a question so that they know that you're going to be like, oh, and how about you? So they could say something interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, what would you say is your biggest personality strength? Personality strength. Personality strength. I think. I think actually, it's, I think it's now a strength. I think it used to be kind of a weakness. It'd be caring about people. Uh-huh. I, I'd say I'm an empath. And I, when, I was before, when I was younger, I was quite naive to the world. I didn't know that people can manipulate you when, you're, when you care about people. And when you see people as the same, you don't really see people differently. Mm-hmm. Now I feel that it's more of a, I think it was more of a weakness and more to my detriment before. I just sucked the life of kind of more kind of narcissistic people would have sucked the life out of me. Now that I'm more aware of the dynamics, uh-huh. I feel like, that is become a strength of mine that I think, I think that, well, I hope that comes across that I actually care about people. And, uh, so that would, yeah, that would just help me with my values and just be clear and like what matters to me. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's my strength. Now I used to be yeah. not even more of a weakness to myself. So previously, what were your kind of interactions with people that you felt were a bit more egotistical? Like, Mm. I used to kind of be a doormat. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd be more of a, like a doormat because I'd always be kind of giving people chances in my mind as well. And I'd always overlook things. I'd always overlook my feelings about certain people. Uh-huh. And uh, like some of that, again, was probably tied into my own self-image of I hang around certain types of people and I don't hang around other types of people. So mm-hmm. that... Ah, that, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't great for me either. Yeah, it would have been being a doormat. I just kind of felt like 
I suppose I kind of felt like people would like me if I'm available to them at some level as well, I think was going on for me. Whereas now I think like if you're somebody who's an empath who's caring, you need to have a sense of your own personal boundaries, personal space. Then you'll just have people in your life who you you have people in your life who respect those boundaries. Like the people who won't respect it, then they won't really gravitate towards you if they if they know they can't not respect your boundaries and stuff. I think it's more of an energetic thing more than anything. Because uh-huh. you're 100 able to show more empathy and understanding. I think anyway, when you're content and happy with yourself and not and not kind of being a doormat and begrudgingly offering people sympathy and trying to make them feel good but uh, almost surrendering yourself yeah actually it's the difference between empathy and sympathy i think that's the biggest that was a big one for me i I think i was sympathizing a lot with people more than actually empathizing with them Mm -hmm. so that's been a huge one you don't have to you don't have to jump in after people to try and save them or you don't have to be a doormat to feel good about yourself i think that was that was actually what i would have been getting from it was the sense of being a good person by being available to people even if they treated me badly yeah uh-huh. you know so that's not that's not functional that's not no. a healthy way to live and what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given or would like to to give any readers There's nothing standing out for me right now. Like there would have been people who said things over the years that might have been a bit cliche and stuff. Uh, nothing standing out for me right now. Um, enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think for for me, I suppose the advice I would give is um, like I think the purpose. I really think the purpose of my life is to is to, to discover who I am and to express that. I think anything else is just prolonging that you'll get to the end of your life and I think when you get to the end of your life you're going to realize what actually matters and it's going to be a feeling it's not going to be some thought process and stuff but the best thing I'd say is to make it your goal to attune with your sense of self who you are your gut feeling mm-hmm. like, and if you've got a sense that you're ignoring feelings and you've been doing it for a long time and, and things are becoming painful in your life I, I would just look at it like as what's really going on here. Like what, 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 what am I trying to tell myself? I'd ask questions more introspectively. Uh-huh. And if you're going through a crisis, it's probably the doorway to getting you back to the life you're here to live. That's the other thing I would say to you. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Dennis. That was, that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah, no worries. Hope that was useful. Yeah, no, definitely. No, th- thank you. 